0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast by Dubai Eye 103.8. We are marking World Diabetes Day, chatting to one young man who was diagnosed with type 1 at the age of just 8. Dr Nagina Mahmoud explains how diabetes can affect pregnancy. And are more women moving into finance, we asked Helen Brand, the CEO of ACCA. Plus that inner voice, that inner critic. How can you keep it quiet or even be friends with it? We had psychologist Jana Hobson joining us to answer all of your questions. Plus it was your legal clinic, Ludmilla Oliver, on hand to answer your questions on emoratisation all the way through to online fraud. And Mike from CrossFit, Alioth, was keeping us fit as a fiddle as we continue that Dubai Fitness Challenge.
0: You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer.
0: On Dubai Eye 103.8.
1: Fantastic to have you with us. We are talking health on the show this afternoon. It's World Diabetes Day. Healthy Habits. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Right now, we want to hear from Michael Matnoff. He's a... joining us today with an interesting, quite, I think, unique story, Michael, to be honest, because you were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of eight and approximately 537 million adults are living with diabetes worldwide. This number is expected to rise and rise and rise. So as I said, Michael matafanov joining us today with a different perspective on this. And I think Actually, type 1, I've got a number of friends now whose little ones have been diagnosed, even Mm -hmm. younger than 8. Tell us a little bit about how you reached the stage of needing a diagnosis. How were you feeling at that time? Do you remember?
2: I was 8 years old and I was on a family holiday with um, with my parents, my sister, in Egypt. And I was just really, I was thirsty a lot, like all the time. My parents didn't think anything of it. They just thought like a normal child wants to drink a lot, wants to eat a lot all the time. But I was having, like, fizzy drinks, like, um, and juice and all the time. And they have a lot of sugar. Mm-hmm. Like, a a normal can of, like, Coke has, like, 30 grams of carbohydrates. And it's a lot. And I was having that constantly. And what I didn't know was I was making my blood sugar just higher and higher and higher. And every night I was wetting the bed. And my parents were like, mm. still didn't click, still didn't think. Because they didn't even really know what type 1 diabetes was. Anyway, came back to Dubai and we went to the American hospital and they checked my blood sugar. My blood sugar was around 42, 43.
1: Where should it have been? Um,
2: it should be between 4 and 7. <gasps> wow. So it was extremely, extremely high. I was on a drip for almost two days just trying to get the sugar out. And my parents were freaking out. They have no idea what type 1 diabetes is. My mum was crying. What do we have to do? And the doctor was explaining, you know... Because basically type 1 diabetes, for those that don't know, it's a chronic disorder where your pancreas produces little or no insulin at all. So if you just left it and you didn't give yourself insulin, your blood sugar would just, get, would just go higher mm-hmm. and higher and higher until you until you would just pass out.
1: It's a scary diagnosis at any age, but this is a time obviously kind of pre-internet where there wasn't a huge amount of information around. Mm-hmm. And also to tell an eight-year-old, okay, you know, Fun's over, you're going to parties, you're not gonna be eating XYZ. Exactly. How what was it like managing it as a child?
2: As a child, honestly, as at such a young age of eight, you just kind of what you what you what you were told by your parent you just followed, you just did what they told you to do. So um when did, when did it get
1: more challenging?
2: In my teens, <laughs> when <laughs> I was, you know, when you, when you, when you, when you're, when you're a teenager, you just make things more difficult um, mm-hmm. well, for yourself. It's,
1: well, it's like it's. I mean, listen, it, whatever whatever <laughs> that kind of so called risky behavior is as a teen, sometimes yeah. it's health related, sometimes it's behavioral. Yeah. And you're a personal trainer now, so That's t- right. Tell us about how you you're managing type one diabetes on a day to day basis.
2: So I have an instant pump, um, which um i i'm just using insulin nova rapid which um it's a fast acting um insulin um basically you have a fast acting and a slow and uh, a slow acting so just quickly i don't, I don't want to go into it too much but quickly so for someone who doesn't have diabetes your pancreas is slowly releasing insulin to help balance your blood sugar mine doesn't work so my pump has to do that for me mm-hmm. so throughout the day it's releasing like tiny little drops of insulin just to keep it balanced um so when i'm training uh, you have to make sure your blood sugar is in the right in the right place you don't want to train if your blood sugar is too low and you don't want to train if it's too high because it could have some serious effects um
1: what about diet and things like that how i mean you're obviously kind of leaning into a healthy lifestyle mm -hmm. but are there any other choices and lifestyle decisions that you've had to make along the way
2: um not really i think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about about type 1 diabetes um specifically people think you can't eat certain foods and growing up you know as a a kid going to to um birthday parties and things and the the parents saying to you oh you can't have that cake and you know an eight-year-old 10-year-old whatever being told you can't have cake is like really confusing um but that's one of the biggest misconceptions that you can't have sugary foods you can't the thing is we can eat Anything that we want to, as long as we give the right amount of insulin. You need to make those adjustments. Exactly. So
1: what role does exercise play then? And, and how has it been instrumental in managing your health then, Michael?
2: I haven't... Mm, I, do, I do anything. Like as a kid, I was very active. I didn't do... I did all kinds of sports. Um, you can do anything as long as you just keep control of your blood sugar. Mm.
1: So what advice then would you give to any parents who've had that diagnosis of their child and mm-hmm. as you said they're freaking out like your mum did
2: don't think about it too much um, <laughs> that's, such, that's
1: such a relief to hear <laughs> things like that because I feel like everyone we love freaking out yeah. you know we love that dramatization and the ca- catastrophizing of yeah. what does this mean for their life and their mm-hmm. health and their mental health and their friendship and their job and you know mm-hmm. all of that and it sounds like you're absolutely smashing it by not overthinking; it's just taking a very measured approach.
2: Yeah, and also, if 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 you are a parent and your son or daughter has diabetes, don't. If you stress, they're going to stress, mm-hmm. and if you tell them like, "Oh, you can't have this, you can't have that," they're going to believe it, and they're going to go grow up thinking they can't do things and can't have things.
1: There's also a real danger of that becoming someone's whole identity.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like yeah. this is
1: just a very small part of and who you are, especially
2: in in, in um, you know today. Um, Social media plays a big part as well. Mm -hmm. And kids nowadays, I mean, you see like eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds with phones and and they're on YouTube and Instagram and they're looking at things and that can have a a huge part to play in their lifestyle as well.
1: There's a bit of a danger of perhaps over-information in 2022. Exactly. So having a doctor you trust, staying on top of just general life and not letting it hold you back. Mm-hmm. For anyone, as I said, you work as a personal trainer, Michael, for anyone that wants to connect with you, whether that's getting advice about mm-hmm. living with type 1 diabetes or even training with it, if that's something mm-hmm. you're able to help with, what's the best way of getting in touch?
2: So um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, my full name is just Michael Matafonov. If you just put Michael matter you'll find me. Um, don't, <laughs> if you don't want that link, you with can with message the, me. <laughs> with the whole surname.
1: Well, listen, it's wonderful to have you here today and obviously in such great health and Busting some myths, but also having a bit of a reality check because I think that's something that a lot of parents need, not letting that define their life as parents mm-hmm. and that of their children as well. So is it weird to say Happy World Diabetes Day?
2: No, honestly, <laughs> like, I, I don't know how to celebrate it, but um, <laughs> just bring more awareness, I guess. And, yeah.
1: Well said indeed, Michael. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so, so much. Stay well. Keep in touch.
2: Healthy
0: Habits.
1: On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. We are talking health this afternoon. It's World Diabetes Day. If you are struggling, suffering, um, thinking of you and of course on hand to help with some incredible experts. We're talking now about gestational diabetes with Dr Nagina Mahmood, consultant in obstetric medicine at Cornish Hospital. So if you become pregnant and have pre-existing diabetes, you should go on to have a healthy baby. But you also do need to be aware of some possible complications too. Dr. Nagina, thank you so much for being with us. Um, happy World Diabetes Day. <laughs> that sounds like a strange thing to say, but uh, I hope you're well.
3: Thank you very much. Yes, we're all well here. And we're very uh, enthusiastic about this Diabetes Day because it gives us a chance to inform women of what they should need be knowing about their
1: pregnancy and how to take care
3: of themselves.
1: Absolutely. And I think the women we're talking about kind of fall into one of two categories, as I said there, women who have pre-existing diabetes um, as they go into a pregnancy, and then women who develop um, diabetes during their pregnancies, which is known as gestational. Um, Let's start though with the women who have already got an established diagnosis. What are some of the challenges or concerns that they would need to be particularly aware of?
3: Well, the most important thing is to be aware of their glycemic control, by which I mean that they should know what their glucose numbers are like and especially what their average glucose has been. So uh, a very important test we look at is the hemoglobin A1C, which gives us an idea of what their blood sugar average has been over the past three months. And that gives us a very good starting point as to what to expect through the pregnancy, especially early pregnancy.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, and, uh, unfortunately, there is a higher risk of miscarriage if you do have type one or type two diabetes. But if you, um, and also in terms of the baby, I wanted to ask in terms of what impact can it have on the health, the size. I understand can be a complication, doctor.
3: Correct. Uh, it's very, very important to know about their glucose because if they have uh, uncontrolled glucose, or very high numbers then they're at increased risk of miscarriage. This baby is not going to start off. And if uh, they do continue with a pregnancy, there's a high chance that they may have birth defects in the baby, especially if the blood glucose has been high within the first three months of pregnancy. And that's why it's so important uh, that we in Cornish Hospital have established a preconception clinic And a dedicated diabetic clinic so that these women can come to us when they're planning their pregnancy Mm -hmm. so that they get the blood glucose control within normal limits at the time of conception to give them a better outcome in the pregnancy.
1: Absolutely. I think it's not about scaremongering. It's about preparation and care and understanding that, of course, you can go on to have a, a happy, healthy pregnancy and a happy and healthy baby. But you need to do it yes. under expert care and really look after yourself. I mean, my goodness, this is the time when you really need to be focusing on your health you know, more more than ever. What about those... Couldn't agree with you more. Thank you, Dr. What about those um, women who go into pregnancy never having diabetes on their kind of you know, on the landscape at all and think, oh, goodness, I've been completely blindsided with a gestational diabetes diagnosis. Is it true that that can reverse almost instantly as soon as the baby's been born?
3: Well, it is true, but you have to take it with a pinch of salt. Mm. You have to realise that if you've had gestational diabetes in this pregnancy, you have a 50% chance of developing diabetes without pregnancy within the next 10 years of your life. And the only protection you have is to adopt a healthy lifestyle. So I lose that extra bit of uh, weight that you've gained and be very careful about your eating and your exercise habits.
1: And that's easier said than done, speaking as someone who had some very, very um, carby cravings during my pregnancies. I, I, would love, I would love to be one of those women who's like, I just craved crunchy fruit and vegetables. I was like, give me the pasta bake and the ice cream. Um, and it's, it's a very hard. A friend of mine, Louisa, had gestational diabetes and you know blueberries were her treat. And my heart just went out to it, really, really did. Um, but what are some of the guidelines that you know women can kind of take to heart? And their partners as well, of course, in terms of making sure those lifestyle factors in that diet um, is really going to be working in their favour through that pregnancy and beyond.
3: They need to understand that being, uh, following a diabetic diet is actually not something very restrictive. Uh, we're talking about healthy diet and healthy, you know, is the bandwagon these days. So all you're basically doing is reducing your portion size, cutting out the extra carbs, Uh, Being very conscious about making healthy choices, using whole meal instead of white or refined products, uh, using uh, as wholesome as possible. What we usually say is anything that comes out of a box or a pack, uh, that is not healthy. So if you come to natural food substances and stick with those and cook at home and have more meals at home than
1: out, Mm -hmm. then you're on the right track. What we always think of as being, you know, food that your grandmother would recognize. No getting back to those whole foods and and home cooking. So lastly, Dr. Njima, I wanted to ask if um, anyone's listening today who might have had a gestational diabetes diagnosis or is diabetic and planning a family. What would your last words of wisdom be, please? Do consult an expert uh, before
3: you uh, become pregnant and if you become pregnant, Uh, do see uh, an expert immediately. The reason being that you might be on medication which is not safe for the baby because if a baby within the first three months is exposed to certain medicines, whether they're for blood pressure or the diabetes, they may be detrimental, they may cause birth defects. Mm -hmm. And also don't stop your medication immediately being a diabetic because it's the high blood sugars that can cause birth defects. So immediately go to someone so that you know which medicines to switch to We do get patients who stop their medication and they come with high blood sugars. And we try to tell them that this does more harm than good. So please, the moment you realize you're pregnant or if you're planning pregnancy, see someone. Uh, And that's why the doors at Corniche are open because we're always willing to see you anytime you come. Uh, You have direct access to our diabetic clinic. There are no formalities. Just tell them at the desk that you have diabetes and you will be fast-tracked into the diabetic clinic. you have a team of experts, the obstetric medicine physician, the obstetricians, the initiatives, the diabetes educator, the dietitian, all there to share the journey with you and make things easier
1: for you. Thank you. It takes a village, it sounds like. And that's from uh, from 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 pregnancy and beyond. Dr. Jeeva, thank you so so much. Really do appreciate some really excellent advice there really measured and hopefully some words of comfort to anyone out there who might be concerned about starting a family or has had a diagnosis recently dr mcmood joining us there, consultant um, in obstetric medicine from corniche hospital
0: this content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice diagnosis or treatment healthy habits
1: on afternoons with helen farmer we are here with you to help you quieten and understand your critical inner voice. Jana Hapsen is a Dubai-based licensed psychologist, the founder of My Conscious Mind Mental Health Centre. She's also a member of two. And we are talking about those inner voices today, which she calls me, myself and I, also known as each individual's three ego states, the critical voice, the inner child and the loving parent. Thank you so much for joining us. I find this so interesting because we're naming something that all of us experience. Can you please, if you wouldn't mind, John, explaining those three states and maybe even giving us some examples so we understand them fully?
4: Right, right, Helen. So the, me, myself and I, maybe the people who are listening to us today, they can also do it at the same time. But um, have you ever been at a social gathering? Yes. Where one part of you wants to go home and sleep. Definitely. Another part <laughs> wants to go mingle with the people.
1: A smaller part, but yes. <laughs> but then another voice is telling you, Helen, don't go there because they might not like you. Oh, this is a constant battle that I think a lot of people experience. Sometimes it's socially, sometimes it's professionally, sometimes it's in a family unit, and that feeling of conflict. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the time it can lead to someone going, I'm just going to take the easiest route here and yeah. stay home or leave. Yeah, yeah. And that,
4: the critical voice, I mean, I would like to do the the exercise
1: With me? Yes. Crikey. Okay, okay, I'm
4: ready. Okay, so here we go. We're going to go and determine the three ego states for you. Okay. So, for example, if you go and apply for a job, um, you're going to say, hey, my name is Helen, this is my qualification, and this is my experience. So we don't have any emotions involved. We don't have any feelings involved. It's very factual. It's very factual. So that is the loving parent slash logic. So then... Your ego state, the first ego state, is the adult, meaning loving parent, is called Helen. Now we go to the inner child, mm-hmm. and I would like to ask you: Can you remember your first, most beautiful memory in your life?
1: Yes. Do you want me to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, So my dad used to take me and my brother out to the... We lived in the countryside, but to the real countryside. And we used to make us marmalade sandwiches and we'd sit on big bales of hay and watch the sunrise.
4: Nice, lovely. And how old are you there? Probably five. Amazing, yeah. And do you remember what you're wearing? Oh,
1: just scruffy play clothes, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Some some cousins hand-me-downs, I'd imagine. Nice. How do you feel? I feel... Like full of magic. I remember that. I remember one morning in particular, and it's so funny as a parent, it's really come back to me, is I think my brother, my little brother had a cold and my dad leant over and he let my brother blow his nose in his hands. And I remember <laughs> thinking, that's disgusting. And now I'm like, wow, that's like, that's what every parent does. That's right, just an right. act of love and practicality. But right. it really kind of stayed with me, the sense of really giggling yeah. at how disgusting and funny this was.
4: Well, it tells me that you felt free.
1: Yep. And joyful. Yep.
4: And you belonged. Yeah. So when we speak about the inner child, we speak about emotions. And I would like to break it down and I would like to say there are only four. Anger, fear, sadness, and joy. Mm. And unfortunately, 75% are negative, mm-hmm. you know. So um, when, it goes, when it's about the inner child, it's also the needs and wants. It's the sense of belonging. It's the need to be loved and seen. Mm -hmm. But then, when we talk about the critical voice, whose love did you crave the most? Or who was the most critical to that small Helen? That
1: would be the mother. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
4: Mm -hmm. But just going quickly back, did you have a nickname when you were small? H. H. So we have Helen H., and what's your mom's name? Babs. Babs. So here we go.
1: Here we have... I'm never going to send to the podcast <laughs> of this show, by the way. But uh, here you go. These are your three ego states. And it's not funny that even though I'm 40, I'm still craving my mother's affection. And Which is ridiculous because I know how much she loves me. I, you know, I know logically and she's very affectionate and very um, demonstrative and very warm. But isn't it funny that I still feel kind of trapped in that... Craving state.
4: Well, I do really believe that is absolutely normal. Everybody feels like that, mm-hmm. and I mean, it, regardless how
1: old you are going to be, um, you're going to always crave that love. So, can I ask then when when does that critical voice serve a purpose, and what can happen if it takes over?
4: Mm. Can I give another example? Yeah, tell me. So, imagine that little. What was the little girl's name? H. H. <laughs> so H would run around um, the table, and there would be a candle. So children are naturally very curious. And the loving voice will say, H, can you please come? Come on my lap. Don't touch the candle. Look, if you, but if you burn yourself, you will kiss it. You will put a little bit of bandit on. The critical voice will say, what did you do? Go in the corner, maybe give you a slap. Mm-hmm. So see, both voices are... Having something in common, they care. They're protecting you. They're protecting you. But the loving parent is the one that is skilled mm-hmm. and has compassion mm-hmm. and allows mistakes. The critical voice does the same, but unfortunately, it is not skilled.
1: Can I ask you a strange question? Mm, yes. Does anyone not have an inner critic? No. Okay, not even like proper sociopaths. I don't, I think everybody has
4: that critical okay, voice. And in, in, in my work, With clients, the most important thing is to create a balance between Mm. the inner child, and I say around 45%, and 45% for the adult, and then minimize the critical voice
1: to 10%, like the unskilled cheerleader, you know? How? How can we, it's never going to go away. I think it would be odd if it did, but how can we quiet it and manage it?
4: Well, I think the most important thing is to have this kind of conversations that you and I have right now to create awareness that Mm -hmm. we all have this critical voice. And sometimes we can have a bad gym workout and that can carry us for two days. So when we speak about that and when we realize that we have this kind of voice, then we are more aware, we're more conscious about Mm it. And then when I ask my clients, please write, get a journal so... Get your all notes every night, just five minutes, regardless how silly the voice is going to say, hey, what you're writing right now is so dumb, you know. So regardless of that, acknowledge it. I recommend not to fight with the critical voice. I recommend to have a discussion with the critical voice. That's what I always do also with my clients. Like we role play and I say, okay, let me be, you will be the critical voice and I will be the loving parent. And I demonstrate how the inner conversation individuals can
1: have. I wish we had longer to talk about this. Thank you so, so much. I really hope we've had a number of messages and I really hope that this has resonated with people and perhaps given you something to think about and to think about your thoughts a little bit. And as you say, it's not about pushing that voice away. It's about validating and listening and in some ways going... Thank you for that, but not right now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, For anyone that does want to explore this further with you or indeed get in touch with you about any of the work that you do around psychology here Mm -hmm. um, in the region, Yana, what's the best way of getting in touch? Uh, You
4: can go to Instagram and look up MCM Dubai or you can look us up on MCMDubai.com.
1: I'd love to have you back. Thank you so, so much. Me too. And for full disclosure, you were talking about your inner critical voice before you came on the radio. Definitely. And you had no need, and never again will you ever be nervous because it was uh, your joy. Thank you so, so much. Thank Anna. you for having me. If you do want your honesty details, please drop me a little line. I'd be very happy to share that link on 4001.
0: This content is for informational purposes only and is not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment.
1: Talking women in business now. And back in July, we spoke with the head of ACCA. That's the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants Middle East. That was Fazila Gopani, who had officially just launched the Women in Finance initiative. And today we have Helen Brand with us. She's the CEO of ACCA. This is the global body for professional accountants. She's in the region hosting an event called The Women in Finance Leading the Next Generation. So I'm very keen. To have a bit of a reflect on Helen's time in the industry, the impact of the pandemic, and of course, answer any questions that you might have. If you want to share any experiences you've had working in finance or indeed you're looking to help the next generation, get around a boardroom table. Do reach out on 4001. Helen, how are you? Hi Helen. I know <laughs> it's very- confusing, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Well,
5: it's great. Um, I'm very well and delighted to be in Dubai today.
1: Well, there's lots to talk about. Um, and I, I know you've been in the industry for m- most of your career. Um, so yes. I'm, I'm kind of curious then for you to zoom out somewhat and maybe talk trends. Are we seeing a rise in more women moving into finance with more confidence than perhaps a decade ago?
5: Yes, I I really do think we are. I mean, ACCA's own figures show it. I mean, in our student population, so our future members, 59% of them now are women globally, um, which is fantastic. Um, 47.8% of our members so fully qualified are women and we're aiming to get that to fit, uh, 50% by 2030 and that certainly was not the case when i started working uh, in the profession um still lots of Long way to go, though, mm-hmm. particularly in the issues like seniority, places on boards. If if we're looking at the firms, you know, those moving into partnership or the CFOs and the and the leaders in the profession, um, the the percentages there haven't shifted so much in spite of concerted efforts. But there are signs that you know the the new ways of working we're seeing in the workplace now um, really might help to boost that that. Uh, female participation as it should be at the highest levels and I think there's um Definitely an understanding more from governments and the public mm-hmm. of the importance of, uh, you know, equality and proper representation. Yeah, I was going
1: di- to say diversity. Yeah. I don't want to say diversity because it shouldn't be. As you say, it should just be about simple representation. Yes. I, um, yeah. but It's interesting you mentioned that in terms of changes recently, because so many industries have seen a greater degree of flexibility post-pandemic, you know, hybrid working mm. models. Um, you know, and certainly that's something the UAE um, hadn't um, done an awful lot of compared to other parts of the world. Um, what impact do you think the pandemic has had on that number? We might not see it just yet, but in terms of perhaps it going up even further in the future.
5: Definitely, uh, definitely. I think it's been a real positive for both women and men. You know, it's positive for everybody. And, and one thing that um, has been said to me quite often is that that women will never... Uh, reach their full potential in business until men reach their full potential at home. <laughs> in other words, that there's you know a sharing of those responsibilities. Um, and I think flexible working. We saw it during the pandemic that you know both men and women were able to be in the home and participating fully in sharing those responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that is carrying on now the flexible work we were just hearing today actually at our Women in Finance uh, event that um One very large business in the u a e uh, offered hybrid working, expecting it to be taken up by mostly the women, but actually men took it up just as much, and they 've continued with that um working from home good. piece so i think I think that's good for all of us you know and i and i do I do think that equal um my i've always thought that you know achieving that equality is better for men as well as for women, you know it puts us all in a better position to be productive in our working lives and in our lives at home. I think, I mean, I can only speak to, you know, my own
1: family situation. And, you know, it's very hard to do a radio show from home. I tried a couple of times and my dogs (laughs) completely ruined it. But, you know, my husband for for much of the pandemic was working mostly from home or cafes or, you know, Mm -hmm, sometimes a sales mm -hmm. office. And he desperately misses the opportunity to drop our kids off at school or pick them up from activities. And I think that's such, it's such a kind of, common myth that flexible working is just for women it absolutely isn't it's for caregivers whether that is of children or the elderly it's for people who might have illnesses that need to be managed you know it's it's a Mm -hmm. it's a human issue not just not just a woman's issue speaking of which today is gender day at cop 27 um big emphasis on pay and i wondered what the state of affairs is when it comes to gender pay gap
5: in the finance industry is anything you can speak to there helen Sure well ACCA actually although we're not mandated to in the UK we've been reporting on our gender pay gap now for four years and on our ethnicity pay gap for two years Mm -hmm. Um, and we find that I find it very interesting thing it's not always about um, immediately you know you're not going to immediately write those gaps that appear there but I think for businesses and organizations that do that it's Really shines a light on what needs to be done, and reputationally, businesses then mm-hmm. do do those things yeah, help, that start wanna... to, clo- good to close to close the gap. You, and even if it is just just for a bit of good
1: PR, there's some good benefits uh, to be, exactly. to be had by that. But,
5: but 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 I think the important thing is that reporting has to be to common standards, mm-hmm. you know, and that people have to be able to look at that information and interpret it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that. Uh, for regulators and governments putting those kinds of uh, mandatory reporting requirements in place and having um, a, a, an understandable and easily communicated framework is really important but I think it drives really really positive benefits Absolutely. so I'm a very strong advocate of that reporting piece <laughs>
1: We're in conversation with Helen Brand. She is the CEO of ACCA. This is the global body for professional accountants. She is here in Dubai hosting an event called The Women in Finance Leading the Next Generation. We've had a number of messages, number of questions as well. Um, We were just talking earlier about the importance of representation and some of the barriers that perhaps are being, if not smashed down, but certainly moved through. Um, And I wanted to play this for you, Helen. This is from Jess, who has worked in finance.
4: I was the only female analyst and the only other female working in the office was the office manager. A lot of men will argue and disagree that women don't get discriminated in finance, but Uh, I don't believe any of them have ever been asked, why don't you just go get married? I was asked by a finance professor at my school, why don't you just get married? Uh, Which was completely embarrassing and not something that a man would ever be asked.
1: Yeah, I've had a few situations of um, so-called HR departments asking me similar. So it's not just finance, I don't think. Um, Helen, what's your initial reaction to hearing that from Jess?
5: it's really sad and probably quite shocking in 2022 mm-hmm. that women are still subjected to that kind of uh, thoughtless. I, d- I do think people who ask those questions have really not thought it through. You know, it's it's it is shocking. I think it's becoming less of an issue and what I hope we can support certainly professional organizations like ACCA would always look to support women in those situations whether it's through create you know creating mentorship connections by having other professionals they can talk to them to help them navigate that because what's important there that the conversation is then had with that
1: absolutely person
5: who asked the question to logically and calmly point out a how it's impacting on the, the, the woman subject to that but also how it's impacting ultimately on the success of that business mm-hmm. because if if you if you are demoralizing your workforce if they're not progressing in the way they should be um, then you're not getting the best for your organization it's it's you know of course it's about the impact on that individual but we need the best possible practices in business so that everybody can flourish and ultimately that the business itself is successful.
1: Thank you Helen bit of a step change here message from Bev saying hi both hope you can help I'll daughter in the UK has an interview to be an exec assistant to a CFO next week should she wear a suit even though it's not a senior job she doesn't think so but I disagree like how we're wading into a bit of family politics here Helen but um, yes but it is an interesting question because you're talking about post-pandemic I definitely think the way we dress now that there's a bit of a hybrid working model regardless of the industry has perhaps deformalized things a little bit but is that still the case in finance?
5: It is. And I I think like everything else that you should be doing before going for an interview, I'd say do your research. So find out about the culture of that business that you're going for the interview in. In fact, the HR department wouldn't mind talking to you before you arrive about that and giving you that advice. Most organisations now have guidelines on dress um, and it is less formal. Um, we have lots of webinars and um, you know public broadcast events where the men are not wearing ties, <laughs> they might not even be wearing a jacket so I think it, it, things things are changing but do your research because I wouldn't want to scupper your chances of
1: uh, well, of getting the job. Well, very very <laughs> diplomatic indeed and lastly as I said you're giving a discussion today around leading the next generation and as a mother of two young daughters um, and I know there's an awful lot of parents listening this afternoon, what advice would you give to parents or indeed young women out there who want to make a career in the financial industry any do's and don'ts from your own experience or what you're seeing around you in the current climate Helen?
5: Well get to that professional qualification I'd say Uh, it's a foundation for any direction you want your career to take you in then whether it's you know in practice whether it's in commerce and industry whether it's in the public sector in government, uh, if you have that foundation of of a professional qualification, the sky's really the limit and you have lots of choices there in front of you. Second thing, network, 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 get get your support systems in place, um, whether it's your peers, those ahead of you uh, in the finance function, they're always willing to give back, um, but you have to have those conversations. So network. So I think those two things, get professionally qualified, get networked.
1: Put yourself out there Um, and uh, I I think you mentioned a really interesting point there about mentors and they can come in various forms. As you say it can be those within the industry further ahead for you, it can be male, can be female, can be those outside of the industry who for a bit of you know objective uh, kind of insight there. Um, For anyone that does want to speak to you though um, and get some guidance about ACCA and what it's all about, what's the best way of contacting ACCA and indeed finding out what's happening as a professional body?
5: Yeah well the 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 principal points Our website accaglobal.com you'll find a wealth of information um, and con- contact details of various parts of the organisation but accaglobal.com.
1: Helen Brand thank you so much for making time for us today really interesting to get a bit of a read on what is happening and what the future holds 59% as you're saying uh, women let's get that number up and, uh, well, and let's that, get them and round the get board them into the top jobs, exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly it's okay, not just about getting in it's about getting to the top thank you so much Helen really do appreciate your time if you if you want the website for ACCA? By all means, drop me a line. I'd be very happy to share it. Joining us live on the line is Lamilia Maliver. Uh, she is there from HPL Melbourne Pluka to take my questions, but truly, most importantly, yours, because this is your opportunity to pick her brains, get some clarity on any recent headlines or guidelines, and of course, get the questions answered that might be keeping you up at night. Good Miller, how are you? I am well, thank you. How are you? I'm really well, really, really well, thank you. I've got a lot of questions for you, my dear. Um, So I do urge anyone to get in touch as soon as possible if you want to avail of this amazing opportunity. Um, Before we go to the text line, Ludmilla, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the NAFIS programme, emiratisation. In terms of, we had a a couple of questions about this over the course of the week, people just seeking a bit of clarity about uh, legal framework, um, consequences as well. So for anyone that's not familiar with this programme, can you give us a kind of a quick dummy's guide to what we need to know and specifically what business owners need to know here in the UAE?
6: Yeah. So first of all, the NAFIS program, which in Arabic uh, is my my perfect Arabic, means compete. It's a special UAE government program that is funded to the tune of 24 billion dirhams. Uh, Ultimately, that will be used as funding for training of Emiratis to help them transition into the private sector. And before I go into the program itself, this just for those who are unfamiliar. The the NAFIS program is um, uh, so was introduced on the back of the UAE's in government initiative. Uh, for what's called the amortization uh, uh, efforts or initiative. And the amortization is in, in particular into the private sector. Uh, and so there's a, there is a ministerial resolution 279 of 2022, which kicks in in January 2023. So just in the next two months, which is why it's important uh, to raise awareness for all those companies who are in the private sector and subject to the Ministry of Human Resources and Amortization, or Mohre, as some call it, because as of January, now the amortization quota kicks in. And what that means is that companies will now have to start hiring Emiratis. Uh, and uh, for companies who employ between zero to 50 uh, skilled workers, by the way, skilled, so it only applies to skilled workers, they expected to start hiring at least one Emirati. Those who have 51 to 100 skilled workers um, should hire two Emiratis. And those between 101 and 150 skilled workers have to hire three Emiratis. And the big companies who have more than 151 skilled workers have to hire one Emirati for every 50 skilled workers. Okay. So the deadline for this, again, is January 1. So it's just around the corner. And the penalties for those companies who do not comply are, are 6,000 dirhams per month for every Emirati who has not been employed. Uh, and so um, that's basic, that's the amortization initiative, the program. And now on the back of that is this the NAFIS program that ultimately now gives financial support to Emiratis mm-hmm. to, and, and companies and, and in the private sector who will be employing Emiratis to help to so transition Emiratis into the private sector by uh, where a government would supplement uh, financial support and subsidize to an extent uh, integration of Emiratis in the private sector by, for example, paying for the cost of training for Emiratis. Mm-hmm. So the cost of training for for one year, the government will pay 8,000 dirhams per month. So basically, let's say if you wanted to hire an Emirati for, to train for a year, the government would pay that uh, Emirati employee for training for 8,000 dirhams per month. So the company doesn't have to pay them. Okay. But also, after that, for the, uh, for the first five years of employment, the government will also supplement their salary to, the, to you know, 5,000 dirhams per month. Uh, and then also pay for various uh, specialized training programs, professional certificates, and various other contributions into retirement and pension schemes, and so on and so forth. So ultimately, it's just to help the private sector to to um, uh, to, to integrate Emirati employees
1: uh, mm-hmm. with uh, a little, I guess, more ease. And though that NAFIS program. Uh, Can expat employees get some benefit from that program as well? Um, Or even, I guess, expat company owners, are they able to avail of some of these benefits and and kind of subsidized um, offers? Uh,
6: So, so no, the program only applies the benefits. uh, I guess it depends on how you look at it. uh, It's the Emiratis that benefit directly, i.e. the government pays the Emiratis, but the company owners would benefit by virtue of not having, for example, to t- pay for mm-hmm. the training of Emirati employees or, or not have to pay as high of a salary as normally they would have to. they would be expected to pay okay. because the government supplements uh, uh, the nationals' training or employment uh, for the first of these five years. And so in a way, fine. both parties benefit.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. I hope that helps anyone who's heard about this, read about this, and uh, needs a bit of clarity. Ludmilla Malava with us this afternoon. Legal Clinic, Ludmilla Yamalava, is live on the line, ready to take my questions and most importantly yours. We were just talking earlier there about the mrc um, initiatives and some of the programs that are being introduced and Ned is um, seeking a bit of clarity saying, what about companies with only two employees and what about free zone companies? What do we know there, Ludmilla? Both very valid points.
6: Uh, great question. So uh, so for all those companies, first of all, the uh, this particular resolution applies to all companies that are subject to to Ministry of Human Resources and and Amortization, which is otherwise known as MOHRE, some say it. Uh, So, and Ministry of Human Resources and Amortization uh, ultimately, for the time being, governs only onshore companies. So, excludes free zones. Free zones are governed by their own authorities. So, therefore, in this resolution that sets out the requirement and the deadline- it's a resolution that's issued by Ministry of Democracy, uh, and therefore it only applies to companies that are subject to Ministry of Human of which excludes free zones. Okay. The free zones would be excluded, but as long as you're onshore, it's the first uh, requirement. It's It applies for companies from zero to 50 employees. So if you're two employees, I mean, theoretically, you fall in that category, in the first category that if you're zero to 50 employees, you must employ uh, at least one Emirati, but how it's going to be enforced uh, remains to be seen, especially in that particular case where you only have two employees as the listener right fully pointed out.
1: No, thank you for flagging. We'll, of course, let you know any more information as it unfolds. Um, I'm just saying, deadline around the corner. Um, anonymous message here, Ludmilla, saying, We would like to employ a fantastic Sri Lankan lady as a home help. She already has a visa through her husband and an Emirates ID card. We're private individuals. She does not want to change her visa status. Is there a way for us to employ her legally? Thank you. Uh, not really. Not anymore. Uh, So,
6: uh, and this is because ultimately, while she has a residency here, so she can be in the UAE legally, in order for her to work legally, she needs to be registered with one authority or another. And since uh, to employ someone uh, as a mate, it'll be basically the family that will be employing the individual. There is no authority to register that particular employment relationship because the family does not have that standing, it's it's not a registered entity. Uh, and so legally speaking, you cannot register that in employment relationship. Therefore, it's that the relationship ultimately would be would be um, not valid. And the reason I'm sort of like hesitating in how, how far I go is because I was just recently reviewing the new domestic employment law. And there's actually quite a few provisions on penalties. Mm-hmm. And I paused uh, quite a, quite significantly on some of these penalties because it suggests that anybody who employs nannies or major domestic employees... Outside of an allowable domestic legal domestic employment framework, uh, is subject to penalties. They're violating the law and are subject to pretty hefty penalties. That, for example, would even include families who hire domestic help uh, who are otherwise employed by, let's say, a company. And we know that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of families out there who, would, for example. Hire a maid that is, is sponsored by a free zone company mm-hmm. because uh, free zone visas are cheaper and they were longer yeah, historically. Uh, so and then so that that person has not only residency here but they have also an employment agreement and yet they're working for a private family. So there's a lot of arrangements like that. So as I was reviewing the domestic employment law, the new law that just came out a few months ago or a few weeks ago, it's it seems to me that it's pretty clear that those relationships, technically speaking, are also um, illegal. So Okay. In order to to hire a domestic helper legally, they need to be registered on, an, on a domestic employment contract through a Tadbir service. I mean, the Tadbir being the sort of me, mediating authority uh, and they have to have a domestic employee visa.
1: OK, Thank thank you for that really valuable clarity there. And I really hope you find a way of welcoming this woman into your lives. No name on this message, unsurprisingly, saying, is infidelity still a crime in the UAE? And be careful how I phrase this. Um, what about if it's paid for? Need to confirm before I tell my husband what I know and demand a divorce. What say you, Miller?
6: So uh, in short, in this particular scenario, it's not really, it, it, there's no specific provision that makes it a crime. I will be diplomatic in the way I phrase it. I appreciate (laughs) that. (laughs) So, so, uh, however, uh, there could be other potential laws that could be implicated, especially if it's for pay. Uh, Anything against public morals in the UAE is still considered to be a crime. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's perhaps a way to to, to broach the subject. Uh, But in terms of it being illegal and therefore potentially filing a criminal case, it is not as it used to be before, so I'd say, I'd say it's probably not a worthwhile
1: pursuit. OK It's
6: Thank from you. the criminal side of things.: yes. From a commercial and civil but side of things, obviously awesome. you all
1: the right. <laughs> okay. Ludmilla Malava of HPL, Malava & Pluka is with us to answer my questions, but most importantly, take yours on the text line. So don't hesitate to get in touch if you do need a bit of a steer or an expert second opinion. Message from a small business owner here. This is Andrea saying, I've just experienced my first dispute claiming a purchase from my online store was fraudulent. I fulfilled the order to a T and one week later, the cardholder filed the dispute. The result being the funds have been withdrawn from my account and an admin fee for Stripe. I have, of course, disputed the claim, but I've got no way of knowing if the customer who placed the order is in fact a thief. My question is, if a customer uses a stolen credit card, what are the odds I'll get the money back? Now, I'm out of money and my products and the courier fee. The credit card holder might get their money back from the bank, rightfully so, but as a small business owner, how on earth can I recoup my losses? Ooh la la, a lot to unpack there, but can you able to give Andrea a quick steer on it, what her chances are here?
6: So ooh la la is is right. And (laughs) if I understand the question correctly, I uh, think this is called a chargeback, which is where a customer applies to the credit card uh, and asks for a chargeback. Whatever was uh, filed in the credit card, they just basically request a a chargeback. And I have to tell you, I too, even my firm, we fell prey to the same uh same chargeback uh for one of our clients back in the old days. And I investigated, researched it, uh to the T of filed disputes, left right, and center. And the short practical advice that I would give to the listener right now is just, just mm. not worth move on uh the effort of trying to get it back. It's it's frustrating, it's irritating, and you know, we went all the way to um, the Visa and the Mastercard policy, those policies, those policies—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a topic that's perhaps too too complex for this show. Uh, well, they were, but they in were short, brave
1: taking on you, Ludmilla. I mean, my goodness, they must have fancied their chances of going up against the law firm. Because you know
6: what, and this is the thing—is because they're subject to their own regulations, mm-hmm. and so we, in our cases, we had we have obviously our own uh, uh, c- conflict dispute resolution, but because credit cards and the banks, they have their own sort of arbitration deal it's it's like you cannot even really reach that level to argue it so it wasn't we could not really argue it on our own turf it was just just like the listener said the money was just uh deducted from the credit cards so now you have to fight with the bank uh unless oh, you want to go after you can go after the customer by the way you can but now good luck to you finding that customer and exactly. filing a case against that particular customer for the value of the product—that's perhaps going to be more expensive. And obviously, I don't know the value no, of the
1: product, but I think your think your point really is your time, Andrea, could be much better spent than fighting a system that you know, or fighting various organisations that have got an awful lot going on. And you know...
6: but there is a way there is a way moving forward, a practice to implement. It's just you need to make sure that you have a receipt from the customer; they've mm-hmm. actually received the goods. Because if you can show to the credit card or the bank that they signed off, they received the good, then that may be a a way for them to refund the money back
1: to you. Okay, thank you for that. Good luck. Deep breaths. It's not easy being a business owner, that's for sure. Um, Jay has been in touch saying, our nanny has become negligent around the home and I was recently approached by a neighbour citing examples of her lack of care in the community park when with our toddler. Can I dismiss her on these grounds? What would the consequences be financially? Any advice there, Ludmilla? Miller?
6: Yes, said, you can always dismiss your nanny, you can dismiss any employee, just like the employee has the right to leave their employment at any point in time. So it just becomes a matter of, okay, what do you need to pay them uh, as part of their uh, end of employment? And so and it's the same benefits that you'd have to pay now that you would have to pay after their end of contract if you wanted to terminate them then. So you have to pay whatever the unpaid salary, you have to pay the um, the end of service that would have accrued, uh, and if they want to leave home uh, or, or unpaid holiday, if there's mm-hmm. any, and if they wanted to leave the UAE to go back home, you have to pay for their ticket back. Okay, that's basically the same things you'd have to pay if if they you if you wanted to amicably part ways at some point in time. So it's nothing. There's no penalty you to to terminate this employee before the contract
1: expires okay thank you for that all the very best jay um this is a bit of a trigger warning um because what i'm about to address is upsetting to hear but i think it's a very valuable um, message so thank you for this saying i need some advice our neighbors are constantly fighting but last night it was really full on. They ended up in the garden with him hitting her, throwing around and she was hitting back. It was honestly horrible to hear. My husband started shouting at them for them to stop so we, and we could see as well as hear what was happening. Um, they both left the house separately. Kids left behind. I can only hope there was a nanny before any security or police arrived. I'm not even sure anyone came. Thankfully, we don't see them often, but honestly, I'm now feeling quite distressed about it all, and I'm sure it will just keep happening. I have no issue to call the police each time, but I also worry about putting ourselves in the situation of an encounter with an angry neighbour who knows we've reported them. I'm not really sure I'm asking, but any words of wisdom would be appreciated. Oh, Thank you for... That message and I'm so sorry that obviously you've had to witness that and of course it's everyone involved. What would you do?
6: Yeah I think the listener is doing the right thing and uh, and uh, and he or she they should not worry about uh, the potential repercussions uh, from the neighbours because I think it's a much bigger issue to have to, 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 have to address the violence uh, that is happening in their backyard or the next door especially since it involves children than uh, worrying about the potential uh, repercussions to them from the neighbors themselves that's not that's a highly unlikely scenario so but the other way of reporting these kind of incidents is, is to the dubai police app and so dubai police app has this or like it's police now or something we're all police but they, they say basically there's a service on dubai police app which allows you to record the incident as as it is happening. So, for example, they could just point the camera uh, at, at the the, back, at the neighbor's yard as they're kicking and screaming and, and punching each other. And that would also, so without having to call the police, you actually can record that what is happening in real time. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's perhaps one of the more efficient and effective ways. And this could even be done without the neighbors necessarily knowing or seeing that you are, you know so somehow you know, or or you even calling the police directly, so you're just doing it all through the app uh, and um so that's one option, and I think ultimately, if it's happening all the time, you know as unpleasant as it as it feels, calling the police at least reporting this through the app to the police is perhaps the only way forward. um There's also the cDA, which is the community Depart- Development authority, which is the authority that is usually in charge of dealing with these kinds of domestic abuse cases. Uh, but, um, um, you know, they usually get involved once the police has been involved, or at least once there is a police complaint number. Okay. Uh, but I'd say that those are probably the most efficient ways.
1: Thank you, Liv Miller. And thank you, Thomas, for for raising this. And I, and I do think it's important to talk about these things. I think it's important for people who might have witnessed something similar and have felt in a similar situation what you are able to do within the confines of the law. You know, I think that's been a big fear for a long time of, you know, committing cybercrime or envision of privacy. But there are ways of actually reporting that and not being vulnerable yourself. I just want to quickly, very quickly come back to the amortization um, message here saying, please note the requirement for one person triggers once a business reaches 50 skilled workers. Please get clarification. Is that the case, Ludmilla?
6: That's not what the, guy, the The resolution says. It says zero to 50.
1: OK. We like
6: were... how, how it's going to be interpreted in practice, I understand. Trust me, I understand the the many questions that arise, but the resolution itself says any business that has from zero to 50 skilled workers must hire one Emirati. It's not from 50 onwards. Okay. It says
1: zero to 50.
6: Thank you. How yeah. we want to interpret it. It's you know, up to businesses.
1: Well, we will of course be uh, continuing to explore that and answer your questions, giving you clarity behind the headlines and the guidelines and of course taking your questions. We weren't able to get your message today. We will of course put it forward for next week. Ludmilla Malava joining us next Monday. In the meantime though, Ludmilla, thank you so much for your time. Um and you are such it's a fantastic a resource of no nonsense advice and some great, great nuggets of information across your social media too. Wishing you a great week ahead, Miller Miller. Always an absolute pleasure. Thank you, my dear here at dubai i103.8 we are helping you on that dubai fitness challenge helping you do 30 by 30 and we have teamed up with some of the best physical trainers in the city for a brand new free workout every single week. Now, don't forget, the challenge is ongoing. If you haven't quite put your trainers on yet, it's not too late to join. There's all sorts of going on across the city from the Fitness Villages, a kite beach and Last Exit as well, and all sorts of special events as well. So, well worth... Heading over to the website and uh, getting involved in our free workouts, Dubaii1038.com. Joining us now is Mike from CrossFit Alioth. He is uh, the man responsible for this week's workout. Um, it's a hit workout session. Good to have you with us, Mike. How are you? Thanks for having me. Now, full disclosure, I've always been somewhat terrified of CrossFit. Okay. <laughs> Be honest. Is your gym full of ripped young things?
7: No. Everyone has their own physique and everyone comes in to do what they need to do for themselves. So,
1: Is that a common misconception then, do you think? hundred
7: percent, definitely. I think CrossFit also gets a bad rep sometimes for being scary and mm-hmm. seeing obviously a lot of videos on social media and stuff. And oh,
1: don't get me wrong, I love a CrossFit documentary on Netflix, all yeah. over it. But th- th- I feel like a big disconnect between those people and someone like me who just wants to get fit or stay fit and have like a functional fitness. Yeah, so-
7: I think those those videos on Netflix, they're the, the elite, you know, the best of the best and they are amazing at what they do. But obviously everyone that comes through our doors, there's there's definitely varying levels of of, uh, fitness that comes through our doors at Alioth and um, we obviously start people off with fundamentals to make sure that they're moving correctly and doing the movements that we want them to do in in the right way before we progress them on to the classes. And then in our classes as well, we obviously scale the workouts. So there's different options, different movements, different weights. Yeah, for sure. So
1: tell us what some of the movements or exercises that might happen during a typical class with you guys.
7: Uh, so our classes usually um, they start with like a, a strength piece or uh, sort of a, a, a lifting piece, as it were. So we work through squats or work through snatches or cleans. Um, not all as heavy as possible. Some days we might work up to a heavy uh, lift for the day, but a lot of it is focused on technique and making sure we, we're moving properly. And then we can move into a skill piece, which could be gymnastics, uh, handstand, push ups, trying to learn how to handstand, walk, or just being comfortable kicking up against the wall and being upside down. Mm-hmm. And then, like a metcon at the end, which is sort of that. I think that is the, the scary part sometimes as well. As you know, with CrossFit, that it's the hard work as it were so we'll pair up a few movements it could be a uh, a couplet or a triplet and you know adding some running in there as well so it's just it's it is just a mix of all fitnesses um which is great for variety and also great for keeping people interested yeah and, and
1: that community feel as exactly. well i know yeah. that's really big for you guys so how does that translate to what you've created for us on the website for the fitness so challenge
7: on the website what i did was obviously the workout was more aimed towards People have been able to do the workout anywhere, yes. especially at home. So um, sort of taking out the weighted element. Mm-hmm. So we're working off a uh, sort of time scheme. So what I put in there was a, like an imam which means you'll do a, uh, an exercise every minute. Uh, and then we just change every minute and then go back around, as it were. Uh, so what I've done is I've worked off a time frame, and not necessarily off, off reps so that people are working for a specific amount of time. They can get as many reps as they want in or they can control it throughout the, throughout the time frame.
1: So any equipment needed at all, Mike?
7: Uh, none for my one.
1: Well, hey, that's yeah. great. And if anyone does want to come down for classes, what, what kind of timings are you doing? Where are you? How can people so, get involved?
7: Uh, we, we offer quite a lot of classes, actually. So we've got, obviously, our mainline CrossFit class. We've got um, endurance class, barbell class. We've got swim club. We've got track club. Um, and those are um, morning movement as well. We've got those... Started around the week, so we've got classes every morning, every evening, I think from like 5.30am till about 8 wow. uh, then we've got a lunchtime class, and we've got from like 430 all the way through till uh, 830 most nights, Crikey. as well as the track club being <laughs> at Sports City, we've got the swim club just around the corner, uh, three times a week as well.
1: I might talk to you about the swim club.
7: Love you love you to come
1: down. <laughs> and just quickly, for anyone that's still thinking, okay, that sounds, I, I want to do it, but I don't know how. What are some of the benefits of a hit workout? What are we going to be, you know, kind of really feeling after after trying your workout later this it's week? It's
7: more so just, uh, you, you'll definitely get a sweat on. Good. So obviously we're getting the blood pumping, we're getting the body working, we're getting the body moving. And I think that's the, that's the advantage of the workout is, is movement. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are stuck behind a desk and they're not moving much, so they're not getting the benefit of... You know, being sort of free and able to move around—that's what I wanted to put from it. Is you're going to get a little bit of strength from it because you, you're going to be working some single um, unilateral movements, uh, and was well at the same time because it's time-based. You're working for a specific amount, so it's not you're doing six reps and then stopping. It could be that you're working for thirty seconds and you get as many reps as you can in in that time frame, which obviously gets the heart rate up, which is what we want from a hit worker Every
1: single doctor I speak to at the minute it's all about movement it's not about necessarily doing like full beast mode and I think that's what's been really nice about bringing together yeah. the trainers for our workouts on the website you know where it's, we've got Pilates we've got yoga we've got hit, we've got more coming as well and you know people can just dip in and out and, and do what suits them and um, for anyone that does want to contact the gym as I said it's CrossFit Alioth where are you guys and what's the best way of getting in touch uh,
7: we're based in uh, Al Alkas or Alcoz never know how to say that um We've got our Instagram page, CrossFit Ayoth, and then the link is on there. You can go to our website. You can book in to any of our classes through uh, the Glowfox app that we use. Love Glowfox. And it's super simple. Obviously, you're you can turn up, and then we can. Uh, you obviously we go through fundamentals with you if you're a new, if you're a newcomer, and then from there you can book into the classes.
1: And how um, how many steps can you do, or on the, as a as a handstand?
7: <laughs> how many handsome walks? Yeah, how many handsome walks? Can you, uh, can you do? Oh, it depends. A lot of the workouts I do, we do fifty to hundred right, feet. Right, we've at got a time. we've
1: got a track right outside the studio. <laughs> I'm going to get Poonam on the uh, on the filming. Thank you Perfect. so much. No my absolute pleasure. And Thanks as I said, later in the week, we can check out Mike's hit workout at Dubai i 1038 FM.